Yo! <laughs> Here we are at the Cumbre. Woo! The benchmark. 1377. Five. That's us at the summit of the Grand Teton. 13,775 feet in the air and a bird's eye view of everything around us. To get to that spot, though, it took a lot more than just climbing the mountain. Each climber had to take on a fundraising challenge of over $4,000. They had to squeeze training for the climb between all of life's other priorities and travel from all over the country, Portland, Seattle, Boston, Pittsburgh, upstate New York, and North Carolina, all to climb this mountain with a bunch of people they have never met before. You're listening to Mountain Meister. I'm your host, Ben Shank. This is our annual episode about Big City Mountaineers' Summit for Someone program. You'll hear more about the Summit for Someone program in just a bit. But if you're unfamiliar with how these episodes work, I basically bring a portable recording device with me while I try to climb a mountain that's outside of my comfort zone. Two years ago, tried to climb Mount Langley, and almost everyone on our climb, including me, had a splitting headache, and a couple were throwing up. Altitude definitely makes me realize how much time I spend at sea level. I'm paying for it. Last year, I attempted to climb Mount Hood, but we got caught in a blizzard that was so brutal you couldn't hear the person next to you. What Now, I know you probably love hearing stories about me getting sick or me feeling like I'm caught in the middle of a snowblower, but I'm happy to report that, spoiler alert, this time around, nothing that bad happened to me, at least physically. In the first part of this episode, we'll learn some more about Big City Mountaineers and the Summit for Someone program. Then you'll hear about our experience on the Grand Teton, climbing with Jackson Hole Mountain Guides, and finally, we'll wrap up with how you can do your own Summit for Someone climb. This year was a pretty special trip for me. We kind of expanded this whole Summit for Someone episode. I invited listeners of this podcast, like you, to join me on the climb. We had four people join us, Neil from Portland, Scott from Seattle, Nicole from North Carolina, and Ken from upstate New York. We also had a professional photographer join us, Chris Shane, and Adam Danielson, a designer and illustrator. Both of them have put together beautiful visuals to accompany the audio storytelling that I do. All of that can be found on our website, mtnmeister.com slash summit for someone, summit F-O-R someone. Now, Summit for Someone is the fundraising arm of the charity Big City Mountaineers. Similar to how a passionate runner or a cyclist might do a marathon or a century ride for a fundraiser, hiking and climbing enthusiasts can take on a big physical challenge and raise money for an organization that aligns with that challenge. In this case, outdoors enthusiasts are raising money to give underserved urban youth the opportunity to discover these beautiful outdoors places and how they can change their lives. When you think of big city mountaineers, I want you to think of people, partnerships, and places. That's Brian Martin. He's the executive director of Big City Mountaineers. The people are the the adult volunteer mentors, the summit for someone climbers, and uh, the donors and supporters that allow us to create trips and provide camps for for under-resourced youth. Uh, The partnerships are those youth agency relationships that we have where we 
reach out into these um, communities that would not otherwise have the ability or capacity to execute a trip like the ones BCM provides, and then prepare those kids for the experience. Um, and then also carry back to their neighborhoods those lessons, those breakthroughs, um, the things that they've learned while on expedition, and apply those lessons to life back home. And then, of course, the places. We go to amazing places um, all over the country, the Boundary Waters uh, in um, northern Minnesota, Yosemite National Park, the Olympic Peninsula, the Flat Tops Wilderness Area in the Central Mountains of Colorado. Uh, we take these kids to some of the most inspirational backcountry settings that um, this country has to offer uh, and connect them in a real way to uh, our public lands. This summer, Big City Mountaineers hosted 50 week-long expeditions across the country. These expeditions are their flagship programs. They're designed for 13 to 18-year-olds, and they include the one-to-one mentor-to-mentee ratio. That's something that sets Big City Mountaineers apart from other mentorship programs. They also have their overnight camps, of which they've hosted 15 for 8- to 12-year-olds. Really just to provide that first night under the stars. Um, You know, this is what camping's like. It's a bigger group. The ratio for mentor to mentees is, um, you know, not as strict. We kind of operate in a one to three or one to four uh, ratio there with our our instructors and our volunteers at our at our camp. And we really just stay close to, um, you know, close to our cars, close to the bus with uh, with the youth agency. Beyond the experience itself, the accessibility of these locations is immensely important. We want these campers to not only discover that these places exist, but also know that they aren't outside of their reach. In virtually every U.S. city, there are beautiful outdoor spaces just beyond the city limits. Here's Brian on one of their Denver programs. We have a a lease agreement with um, Denver Mountain Parks on one of the properties that sits at about 7,500 feet. Um, It's literally right off of I-70. Um, on your way up into the uh, ski country. Um, but it's only about a 20, 25 minute drive uh, from some of these youth agency partners that we connect with down in Metro Denver. And uh, once you turn off the exit up in uh, Genesee and kind of, you know, make a two or three turns, you're there. Uh, so it's easy for a big bus to get to. And um, the next thing you know, you are surrounded by you know, a really wonderful mountain park that uh, the last time I was up there, I saw 15 or 20 elk, uh, two or three mule deer. But then you also kind of heard the hum of uh, I-70 kind of off in the distance. So you're not far away from, you know, getting back home if uh, there is a problem. And as evening uh, comes around, uh, we kind of take them on a little nature walk and we show them all of the, you know, the natural uh, elements of the park and of the um, camp that they're tromping around in. But kind of the last spot that we hit before we go back to camp and have dinner is uh, an overlook of the city. Um, so they can kind of look out over the front range and see, you know, the high rises of, of downtown Denver and the, the city lights starting to kind of flicker on. Uh, and know that, you know, they're, uh, they're so close to, you know, their home, but it feels, you know, so far away, just given the, uh, given the nature of the, the park and the environment around them. 
In sum, Big City Mountaineers has provided over 42,000 nights under the stars since their founding. That's the charity that we're raising money for by doing a Summit for Someone climb. Summit for Someone is an absolutely critical program for us. Um, every year, uh, we re- we're able to raise uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, that go directly into our programs uh, with kids uh, year after year. And this year, we ran 12 climbs. One of those was our Climb of the Grand, which you'll hear about coming up next. This episode of Mountain Meister is supported by the American Alpine Club. We stayed at the AAC Climbers Ranch right inside of Grand Teton National Park on the days before and after our climb. It's only 16 bucks if you're a member, $24 if you're not a member. There are bunks, electricity, bathrooms. It's everything that you need for the days before and after going into the mountains. They also just launched a new campground called the Rattlesnake Campground that's in Rumney, New Hampshire, right next to the crags there. That's $8 a night for American Alpine Club members. Become a member today at AmericanAlpineClub.org. Use the code MEISTER for a free AAC gift. I arrived at the Climbers Ranch late on the night before our climb started. I was greeted by all of the men that would be on the climb. Nicole, the only lady, was in a separate cabin. I knew two of the guys, Chris Shane and Adam Danielson. Chris is a professional photographer, was taking all of our photos, and Adam is a web designer and using the photos and the sound from this podcast to create a web page on our website. Both of them live in Boston. Uh, We've gone for runs together. We've planned out the project. We know each other fairly well. For the rest of the people, it was honestly kind of awkward. The conversation felt forced. I think we were all probably a little nervous, both about the climb coming up and meeting each other. Uh, It was a little weird that everybody recognized my voice from the podcast, but I had never met them. Anyway, we headed to bed shortly after I got there. Uh, To travel light, I didn't bring a sleeping bag or a sleeping pad because they're provided by Jackson Hole Mountain Guides, but I quickly realized that those weren't present for the nights before and after the climb on the hard wooden bunks in the climber's ranch. I emptied my bag and slept on my clothes and tried to use a few of the heavier items as blankets. It was a long, cold night. We had to leisurely wake up the next morning and started on the Lupine Meadows trailhead at around 9.15. It's a perfectly maintained trail and has spectacular views of the Grand Teton Valley going up. On the first day, the plan was to ascend a little over 4,000 vertical feet from the trailhead, which sits at about 6,700 feet, to Corbett High Camp at around 11,000. It was a long slog, but a good time to bond with people. Chris made some videos for an Instagram story, which is maybe a little bit harder than it sounds. We're here with Jackson Hole Mountain Guides, making our way up to uh, Corbett High Camp. Oh shit, what was I going to say for that? What was I going to say for that? That's tough, Chris. I mess up every single episode of Mountain Meister. We also got to know our guides, all of whom had many, many years of experience. One of them, Jacob, had just gotten back from guiding on Mount Everest. During a break, I saw him taking some notes in a little notebook. Yeah, over the over you know, a decade and a half, I've been guiding I have stacks, please. Really? Uh, Do you keep one a year? No, it's generally one per region. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, so if I leave and I start working on the North Cascades, I'll, I'll do a new book. Yeah. 
That's cool. It's good for if I leave, like don't work here for a few years. Like I didn't come here last year. Go back at my notes. Gotcha. I'm not just guessing. I'm not like, oh, it's going to be four to eight hours up. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I could look back if I have a team that was struggling or a team that was super strong. And do you write that down? Yeah. Yeah. What are you What are you saying about us? Oh, but you don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> Another one of our guides, Nate Op, he was our lead guide, had guided Summit for Someone Climbs a bunch in the past. Oh, yeah, probably like 30. Like, really? Yeah, quite a few, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they're, they're often the funnest ones of the season. Why is that? I don't know. The people are always pretty nice and pretty fit and good. It's a good cause, and it, it's strangers. Strangers often do better together, I feel like, because you... You blend, I don't know, you're on your better behavior and it, just the way the group dynamic works out is, That's interesting. I, I like it. Our third guide was Mike, or Mikey, who I spent the most time with on the mountain. You'll hear more from him later, but one of the first conversations that I had with him was on our hike on the first day. Somehow we got to talking about decision making on the mountain and he recommended that I listen to a podcast called Mountain Meister. Wasn't exactly sure how to respond to that, so I think I mumbled something like, that's me, or that's my podcast, to which he responded, that's you? <laughs> yeah, man, in the flesh. Anyway, back to the hike. The diversity in the terrain was a really neat part of this climb. You start by being surrounded by woods, can't really see much. That turns into switchbacks, where there are less trees, lots of wildflowers, and you have great views of the valley below. You can even see where we stayed at the climber's ranch at one point. Then after a few hours, you reach more of an alpine environment. There are snow fields. By now, all of these are probably melted, but in early July, after a really big winter in Jackson, there was still a lot of snow. We put on boots and crampons on any high-consequence areas, even though maybe the probability of falling wasn't high. We wanted to just be careful, have that extra layer of security. Uh, but beyond that, for the first day, I was in a pair of running shoes for the entire time. The end of the first day requires a fairly steep final ascent from the lower snow fields up to Corbett High Camp, where we slept that night. This has been pretty tired. We are almost to our high camp. I've passed some snow fields where we got some good crampon and rope practice. <clears throat> now we're back on the rock. <clears throat> Sun's beating down on us. It's beautiful outside, but hot when you're moving uphill. We're on a very steep hike right now. About five people in front of me, a few behind me. Just hoping that we'll see some tents here shortly. Right now, I'm just trying to make my way up. I don't know if you can hear my feet sliding on this sand, gravel, terrain. Oh, but it's certainly not as enjoyable as some of the other parts of the climb, such as the beautiful wooded area at the beginning, or what I'm sure will be a nice solid rock toward the top. We'll see. All right, I'll check back in. Once we reach high camp, we got to camp at around 3.30 in the afternoon, making it about a six-hour trip. How are you feeling, Scott? 
A million bucks? Yeah. Why is that? Now it's time to rest and re-energize. Uh -huh. It was a good hike. Neil has arrived. Hello, Neil. Hello. How'd that feel? That's the best feeling ever. <laughs> what, getting to the top? Or Death with every step. No. <laughs> no, that was great. But I'm ready to rest and relax for a bit. It's going to be great in a couple days when we can actually breathe up here. That's true. That's a good point. After everybody made it to Corbett High Camp, we had some time to get settled in. We learned about our shared tent, which had eight small chairs and then a little coffee table as well as a kitchen. We hung out in there a lot. We also split up into twos for our sleeping tents, about 10 sleeping tents in total for all of the climbers and the guides. And then we also learned about the bathroom facilities. Has anybody used these flag bags before? No. Uh, um, it's pretty self-explanatory, but this thing opened the top. Oh, screws off. There's a lid in there. You put the lid in. You take this off. I think there's probably even instructions on there. Take this out. Put it in the bucket, and this goes over the. That goes over the whole bucket. Yeah. Over this. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Or. You can do it either way, really, but technically that keeps it cleaner. Um, you do your thing in here. Don't pee in here because you've got to carry it out. So uh, usually go first or something. Put it in, close it up, cinch it down, toilet paper, everything comes in here. I think we have a little extra in camp if you need it. Um, and then we take it back and we write our names on it, and there's a bucket a bin and then we all carry our own down that way we're not me yeah exactly yeah yeah sorry that we have to do that but there's yeah, so many people in this canyon thousands yeah. every year so leave no trace and we're drinking the water so it's it sucks but so there's one bucket this one yeah okay so we kind of we might have another but one people so, know if you're pooping yeah and so obviously don't just go in the bucket someone every year or something that happens uh, <laughs> yeah. coming up Day two of our climb where we go to school. But first, quick shout out to a new business called Do It With, founded by a name you might recognize, Russell Wilcox. Russell and I started this podcast a few years ago before he moved on to his real passion, solar engineering. Through his years working in the solar business, Russell noticed that residential solar installation is a job that can be done by the homeowners themselves. All you need is a little home improvement attitude and some help from Do It With, you get all the benefits of solar. It's environmentally friendly, saves you a boatload of money on your electric bill, especially in the long term. And it has the added benefit of saving money on the typically costly install. With Do It With, you save up to 50% on a solar install compared to a traditional installer. And as a VIP Mountain Meister listener, thanks Russell, he's giving you $500 off, an additional $500 off of all the other cost savings. Locations can be limited, so inquire with Russell if you're interested. We'll have a link to the website and Russell's email in the show notes and on our website. This is much, much more difficult than I thought it was going to be. That's me on day two at climbing school, looking up at a wall and feeling lost. I wasn't really sure what to expect out of climbing school. The Jackson Hole Mountain Guides website says you don't need any formal climbing experience for the four-day trip. That's what we are doing. At Mount Hood, I learned some skills with the crampons and self-arresting with the ice axe if I should have fallen. 
that climbing felt much more like hiking or scrambling. We were on the snow a lot of the time. This was actual rock climbing. First, we practiced some movement around our campsite, just getting used to the gear and the possible moves that we might be facing on the mountain. Follow me. And when we're doing this type of stuff, it's best if we group up and stay close together so that you can watch the part. Because the Tetons have tons of ledges and it's kind of complicated route finding. But if you follow the person in front of you exactly, you can first of all spot them and you can secondly see where to go. After this, we split up into groups and then each hiked about 10 minutes to different routes that surrounded our campsite. When our guide Mikey pointed at our first route, he casually said, you know, we're going to go up here and then over. But then as I watched him ascend the wall, I quickly realized that this over part that he referred to didn't come until about 10 times higher up on the wall than what I originally thought. Once he topped out, then Adam left, and then all of a sudden I was alone. I'm watching Adam now go up the route that our guide led on, and then I'll be going last. And really have no idea if I'm going to be able to make it up this or even halfway up it, uh, but I'll give it a go. Not much of a climber, but nice job, Adam. Adam just made it through what looks like the most difficult part. Jealous. Um, I have a feeling our guide Mike might need to pull me up. Somehow I made it up. Maybe it was easier than what I expected, or maybe I'm capable of more than I think. Hard to know which one. After that, we went over to the other side of this wall and rappelled down a steep face. I quickly found out that I am not a fan of rappelling. I think if you look at your feet. If I look at my feet, then that causes me to look down. Jesus Christ. Scary. And somehow I made it down. It only became more difficult and scarier from there. But each time, we somehow managed to get up and then down. From this experience, I can totally understand why climbing is so addicting. You approach something that you really truly aren't sure that you're capable of doing, and then you do it. After a few hours of climbing, we returned to camp, and I had a chance to catch up with the team. Fun. How'd you feel out there? We weren't with you, so tell me about your day. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of great to test yourself and then see that you can do it. Did you, fe- did you feel like you were testing yourself? I did, on the rappel particularly, uh-huh. when you step back over the edge. I was a little freaked out, but then you just do it, and, and suddenly it's fun. A lot of faith in the gear and the guides. There is a lot, yeah, like the harness on the rappel. Yeah, I think I checked every buckle five times, and <laughs> okay, at some point you just got to go for it. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of the quote at the beginning of your podcast. <laughs> Shout out to Mountain Meister fangirl Nicole for remembering the quotes that I think were last used in the podcast three years ago. How'd you no, feel you then? Uh, I was nervous yeah. on the rappel and on the the edge thing that we were doing. Yeah, you guys really I don't really have there. too many technical climbing terms in my uh, vocabulary. but If you call it the knife edge, it's not really cool. Okay. <laughs> Dude, I feel good. I feel good to be back down here. That's Adam, who is my climbing partner for the day. As Chris was saying, I had the, the Elvis leg up top there. I saw that. Crazy. I was climbing right behind you. Did you have it? What? No, but I saw yours. Dude, yeah. It was, a, it was a combination of, of pooped pants. <laughs> Adam has a stain on his pants that is remarkably similar to where somebody would poop their pants. He claims it's chocolate. We but. think it's chocolate. We hope it's chocolate. But I almost literally peed my pants four times out there. Right. It's an issue. 
<laughs> but so you know, getting what did you feel on the ridge so I was telling you a minute ago too I didn't think I was going to be able to do it at all because we rounded it and I was like I couldn't move I was pretty petrified <laughs> we got past that and then our guide Mike said that we were doing something even more intense with even more exposure <laughs> and I literally I honestly didn't think I was going to be able to do it but yeah, you kind of round a I corner. We were going across a, a knife's edge on the, I, I don't I forget what that peak is called, but we're going around a knife's edge, and you turn the corner so your back is facing a vertical drop. So if you go too far, you're kind of falling over on the other side. How far do you think that is? Uh, 75 feet to no, where you... Bigger than that. Bigger than that, okay. I don't know. I always tend to... Let's ask the expert. Chris, how high is it if you would fall from the top of that knife's edge where we were? Huh? Yeah, where we were. What, like to that little thumb? Yeah, the thumb. That's good. To where you would hit first, (laughs) where your body would splatter all over the place. Well, you'd take a couple ragdoll tumbles. Okay. And you'd probably do a nice little... Another rumble tumble at the bottom of that little base there. Okay. And then you would lifelessly slide down that rock face and then take a nice 500-foot plunge into that gorge. Okay. So what's the total? I, think we're I mean, if you're adding all that up, I'm going to give it 1,000 feet. Okay. Total 75. Maybe 75 is wrong. I don't know how far But fortunately, down. we're tied in and we have expert mountain guides, so <laughs> nothing to worry about. But still be careful out there. All of us seem to be experiencing that same feeling, kind of confidence after what we had accomplished that day, but also nerves for the next morning. Then the clouds started to roll in. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, I love it. This stuff is the best. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too excited about that, but it's part of the deal. Oh, yeah, the weather. What kind of weather are we looking at for tomorrow? Oh, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens in 20 minutes. Okay. It's promising. (laughs) We seem to be getting really lucky with the weather on this trip. Right when we would arrive to camp, the clouds would move in and then the rain would follow. Except I realized that it wasn't really luck, but more expertise on the part of our guides. Here's Mikey, who explained it on the mountain the next day. So the big problem is we have all of Idaho kind of that way has these big plains, right? And so the sun hits those, creates heat, Heat rises, thus the oxygen or the water in the air starts to cool, right? And so air can only hold on to so much water. So thus it starts to make clouds as it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And then everything from the west goes east towards the Tetons. As it hits the Tetons, it rises even more. So we get these really, really big electrical storms here. So we get these convection heating, which is making just the clouds. Then orographic lift is the mountains lifting up those clouds and that's what gets really electrical and just these really quick storms that roll in like so you can start seeing some of this right here developing and that's kind of why we're hauling ass going to bed at 7 30 on a saturday night that's ken my tent partner we went to bed early that evening for a 2 a.m wake up and a 3 a.m departure at 7 30 it was still completely bright outside the sun hadn't set how are you feeling, Ken? Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah? It's been a 
great hike up here. It solidly intense, and then climbing today was fantastic. How'd you enjoy it? As I said earlier, I'm ready for it to be over. <laughs> no, no, I'm excited, uh, and I'm also excited for us to get down safely tomorrow, but it'll be fun. I was pretty nervous. I kind of get like that on these big trips where I just want it all to be over because if it is over and I'm in the same position as I am before the trip starts, that means that everything is okay. It kind of sounds ridiculous. I'm not sure if other people feel this way, but I think it's probably just due to nerves. Anyway, we tried to get some sleep in the daylight, but it was definitely tricky. And then... This is Ben checking in. 9.30, about two hours after you last heard from us, the weather has shifted. It's now raining, windy, thunderstorms. Let's hope this clears up before we start in five hours. Coming up, you'll hear about our summit day. But first, quick thanks to Osprey Pax for their support of our summit for someone climb. Osprey provided each of our climbers with the variant 52 liter packs. The pack has adjustable straps seemingly everywhere. So no matter what you're carrying, the Variant 52 should be able to do the job. It has glove-friendly zipper pulls and bulletproof pockets and loops for ice axes, crampons, any sharp objects you're carrying. Go over to our website, mtnmeister.com. You can see some of the pictures that Chris took of all of our climbers wearing their packs. We'll also have the link to purchase there, too. How about that storm last night? <laughs> Did you get that? Chris got some uh, awesome shots. Too. Oh, really? I didn't even yeah, look outside. Going. Oh, nice. So Wasn't it awesome. raining? Not um, at first. Not yeah, okay. at first, yeah. It was more like over there. Oh, cool. I, it came in over the saddle. Yeah. And yeah, it, it, just, it was just lightning for a while, and then just blew up. How do you guys feel? Like I didn't sleep. <laughs> uh, did you not sleep? No. no. I heard you guys talking like it's all night. Mostly, was that you guys? Mostly Jaime, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jaime was Nicole's tent partner. He was full of interesting conversation. Didn't even matter what time it was. What's going on inside? Off Coffee? Time. All right, excellent. That was at around 2 o'clock in the morning, and then we had some coffee and some breakfast and then headed out at around 3 o'clock. Not sure if Jackson Hole Mountain Guides had this planned, but it was a full moon that night on the mountain. Pretty beautiful. We still needed headlamps, but the natural light certainly helped. It's about 4.15, 4.20 in the morning. Made our way down from camp, some hiking down, then up, then through the snowfield. We put on crampons. Mikey kicked some sweet steps for us. How'd you feel after that performance? Uh, at my best, you know, just prime. Now we're making our way up, and I heard that this is the most aerobic part of the climb. Hard not to feel confident after basically walking up a staircase after Mikey. We'll see how this goes. After about a thousand feet of climbing, we took a break, had some snacks and water, and then we tied in. 
I'll come with you. I'll come with you. Ken, how high have we gone so far? We're at 12.5. We're now roping in on the Black Dyke. The sun has not risen yet, but it's definitely getting brighter outside. Oh, yeah. Adam and I are going to be locking in with Mikey again. As we made our way up through the Black Dyke, our groups started to split off into different sections. Oh, I'm not really sure why they call it the Black Dyke beyond that the rock itself is black. If there are any other reasons, that's beyond my knowledge. It is 5.45 in the morning. Are these the Black Rock chimneys, Mike? Starting, yep, starting the Black Rock. Starting the Black Rock chimneys. So we've been climbing for about two and a half hours. Mikey's leading. How do you feel, Adam? Good. Yeah? Good, yeah, I feel confident. We got the dream team back together here. Yeah, dream team back together. Great. Oh, switching routes. Nice. Oh, excellent. Straight up the chimney. He's going for quite a ways. Okay. What's happening here is that our guide will climb up a pitch and then eventually disappear out of sight because the route is really steep but also winding. It's possible that the rope can catch on some rocks on the way up. So when at the bottom you feel tension, you yell, That's me! And then the guide will respond with a command to climb, and you climb. Climbing! We worked our way up in this fashion for a while, each of us following one another and knocking off the mountain one chunk at a time. We'd occasionally run into other teams where there was a bottleneck, but for the most part, it was just Mikey, Adam, and me. We're at the upper mountain now, Mikey? And this looks like upper saddle? And this looks like a high consequence area we're approaching? Starting the technical climbing. Okay. There's about three, kind of four technical pitches here that start. Mm -hmm. And then... And then we kind of go into a more roping fashion after that, kind of okay. like how we did here, but a little bit more consequential. Okay. We moved quickly, and physically, we all felt great. At least that's how I remember it. Although it wasn't as aerobic as the hike up a couple of days before, we hit some really, really challenging sections of climbing. Definitely harder than anything I've ever done. Not that I've done that much climbing to begin with. One particularly memorable section had some sling aids anchored to the wall. I, of course, used them and found out that they were soaking wet and cold. And by the time I made it maybe halfway up the wall, my hands were numb. It made it really difficult to climb. I felt like I was just trying to spread like as much as my body as possible on the wall, just trying to stick to it. But just like climbing school the day before, I eventually found a way. All right, we're at the summit. Oh, the Grand Teton. We've been flying up this mountain, so I don't remember the last time we checked in. We got Neil here. How's it going? It's amazing up here. The view is absolutely spectacular. How you feel, Scott? I feel pretty good. It was a lot harder than I thought it'd be, but it's a very nice view up here. It's way harder than I thought. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Probably not going to want to see pictures. <laughs> a few of us did call our moms. The cell phone service was perfect at the summit. 
Within about 10 to 15 minutes, each person from our group achieved the summit. It was an accomplishment that we were all very personally proud of, but knowing that there was something else at stake, a larger goal, something that we were working for as a team, we had a common purpose, that made it so much more meaningful. Here's Nicole at the summit. It's overwhelming. Harder or easier than you expected? Oh, way harder. Me too. Way harder. And I thought I was prepared, but it's tricky. Totally worth it. There were some parts where I was talking to myself, just saying, you can do this. You're safe. You can do this. I think that helped. I think it's a little emotional for me because it's not just completing the climb. It's the whole accumulation of the fundraising and all the process that went into it. It's like a six-month project for you? Yeah, I started in December. Uh-huh. <laughs> Been looking forward to this for a long time. Looking forward to it and nervous about it. And it was hard, but doable. It's nice to do these kinds of things and prove to yourself you're tougher than you think you are. We spent about 15 minutes on the summit, and then just like that, it was time to head down. On the descent, we retraced our steps that we took coming up, with the exception of an enormous repelling section. Everybody seemed to really enjoy this, except for me. Again, not the biggest fan of repelling. All in all, our group finished with a 100% summit rate and zero injuries. Congratulations, everyone. When we returned to the camp, I gave the team some whiskey in return for fielding a few questions about their experience. Here's a collection of their answers. But it was so cool being with all these people I don't know. I just met them like three days ago, four days ago. And seeing everybody... Like including me, like go through all their trials and tribulations and work together, training on the mountain, and then seeing all you guys at the top and everybody smiling, it just felt like I was a part of something awesome. Mike, who who was frequently doing the belays uh, for Chris and I at that point, was like, yeah, this is this is Alpine. You know, you just got to get up there, right? <laughs> and you just go, whatever it takes. You know, this isn't about finding the right holds and, you know, doing it elegantly. You know, it's pull on that sling and get your elbow up there and shimmy up the chimney. You, you get up the rock one way or another. Um, so that was unexpected for me. Um, but it was a, it was a good physical challenge too i've known that i'm like pretty scared of heights but i've always been able to like overcome that as i essentially did today but i didn't think that i was going to be as exposed as i was and uh the knife edge that we climbed yesterday and that being like only a fraction of what we were doing i was like and you were with me. I, I didn't know if I could get up. The, I, I thought I was going to have to turn down, turn around. Um, so I think I was proud of myself. Um, we all came here with our own reasons. Like, ultimately, we all support BCM because of their outstanding, like, mission and what they're trying to do. But on top of that, I'm sure we all have our own, like, other personal reasons that we wanted to do this climb. Um, and I hope that everyone here was able to make that happen. For real, when I heard that story about the kid that didn't recognize a sky full of stars, 
it just got me thinking about all the things I get to do, all the trips I get to go on, and I just do them for me. So it seemed like, well, I could do an adventure, but it'd be meaningful to other people, give other kids the opportunity to experience the things I do and maybe change them into people that'll be our future leaders that will help preserve these wild spaces that we like so much. So it really was initially because I really liked the programs that BCM did. And then when I saw that they had a Grand Teton climb, I was just totally hooked. Coming up, you'll hear from a participant of one of the big city mountaineers youth programs. You also hear how you can get involved in your own summit for someone climb and a fundraising tip from one of the members of our team, Scott. Yeah, so I started with probably 200 people in a Facebook group, private group. And then uh, right now it's up to about 2,000. Also, if you want to see pictures from our trip, beautiful photography from Chris Shane, head over to our website. We'll have those pictures and more information, mtnmeister.com. We'll have a special page for the episode there. So I wasn't really dedicated to the outdoors or anything. I think That's I- Kim. She's a participant in one of the Big City Mountaineers youth programs out of Portland, Oregon. She found out about Big City Mountaineers through a summer job at a conservation crew called Ecology Youth Corps. I think I became more dedicated when I started working in uh, the summer between my junior and senior year mm-hmm. and just learning more about plants and restoration and conservation of, of these kind of pristine environments. So tell me more about your trip with Big City Mountaineers. Okay. Um, well, it was our groups were split into a boys group and a girls group. So there's five people from my the crews um, within the program that I'm in. And then five boys that were recruited for uh, the other group. Mm-hmm. And we went to the Law Whitman Eagle Creek National Forest. It was divine. It was so pretty. And the first day was the solar eclipse, of course. It was Monday the 21st. And it was beautiful. I mean, it was really good way to like be reintroduced to the backpacking experience since I've gone on this, not on the specific trip, but on the other side of Eagle Creek. I went on that trip last summer. And so it was just really nice and pleasant and good to clear my mind and just kind of be in the backcountry and away from all of the people and the noise and all of like the just like city drama and problems that kind of live in there. As a reminder, in addition to targeting inner city youth, BCM targets under-resourced youth. 83% of BCM participants are from families living below the poverty line, and 50% are from a single parent or guardian-led household. One of the people who really kind of inspired me, uh, she just came from like to America about a year ago, and so she was really kind of, she was in a cultural shock is what she said, and she was just kind of like embracing the whole environment and trying to understand it all, and she came from Africa, and so that was really strange for her, and so she kind of found being in this kind of like sisterhoodly group to be like a new home for her, because like she felt like she couldn't really express her culture as much to like the general society, but since we were so... I don't know, distant from that kind of society and those pressures, she felt more open to share her experiences. Do you find that that's a theme on the trip, being uh, removed and 
only having what you need helps people kind of open up. It puts everybody on the same level. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of our crew leaders, I guess one of the people from the BCM organization who came in, she was saying like, as the trips go on, like from her experiences, like as the like sweatier and grosser and like smellier we get throughout the trip, we kind of just like get really like giggly and we become like really attached to each other after a while because we're only really around each other. I noticed that on our on our summit for someone climb the the dirtier and more wasted we got from uh, being so tired, uh, the the more we bonded. Absolutely, yeah. Because you're, I mean, you're all at the same, like, doing all the same things, and, like, you're all eating the same thing as well and just kind of experiencing all the same challenges. And so there wasn't really a push to, like, look nice and, like, stay a certain way. It was just mostly, like, let's get this next, like, few miles done each day. Mm -hmm. And so that helped build our relationship. What do you learn about yourself um, by doing these big trips? Um, well, this trip specifically, I think I learned a lot about just having confidence in my like inner knowledge and just being grounded in the person that I am. Whereas, like, I don't know, I kind of get nervous a lot and have self-esteem issues, and so it kind of helped to be in a large group setting for one. We all kind of identified as being somewhat introverted. And so that was interesting to, I don't know, acknowledge in everyone and observe just because we all kind of acted somewhat similarly and we had similar traits because we all identified as introverts. Mm -hmm. And so having all these like leadership roles and just like working with everyone and building this kind of teamwork factor and like being paired up with the mentors to do water or make the food or do whatever other tasks need to be done really like boosted my confidence in myself and my capabilities. Very cool. And like just hiking as well. Yeah. It pushed me physically. On the week long trips, there is a one to one ratio of mentors to mentees. If you're interested in becoming a mentor in your area, go to bigcitymountaineers.org. You can find out more information there. Here's Kim on a couple of her mentors. Our crew leader, or my crew, the youth ecology course, Stacia was on the crew with us. She was lovely. I have always connected with her because of our crew, but uh, she, I don't know, she brought over some Mary Oliver poem books, and we got to fall on those. Those are really largely based around, like, wilderness and just kind of, like, embracing the outdoors rather than being kind of stuck in the routine of the city life. Mm -hmm. And so she kind of kept, for one, like she was really positive and passionate all of the time, which was lovely and just really encouraging of us, like pushing through inclines and things that were challenging for us and things like that. Uh, there was someone else in my crew uh, who's just on her last year at PSU, I think. And so she was talking to me all about that. And that's kind of, she's studying environmental studies and so we kind of really engaged in that. And I'm just really passionate, I guess, about ecology and environmental studies. And so learning about that before going to college is really exciting. Why do you like that stuff? I don't know. It just it gives me a feeling of like I'm doing something good for the world, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And also I just really connected to the natural world. And I love being outside and it's really therapeutic for me. 
And so I want to give back as much as I can and try to restore and reserve those like beautiful areas and just generally better the world and make me feel like a more accomplished person. We've got some goals and objectives um, in our strategic plan for the next couple of years. That's Brian Martin again, BCM's executive director. To really hone that um, that process and hone the way we kind of move kids through a pathway that begins with, you know, that first introduction and ends with programming that's really designed for alumni of big city mountaineers programs. You know, let's give them that first job as a camp counselor with our overnight camp. Let's hire them as a trip instructor. Let's move them out into uh, other partner agencies or uh, organizations that could be, um, you know, bringing them on as summer interns or giving them that that summer job as a seasonal ranger or something like that. So we have, um, over the last few years, really been doing a lot of thinking about how we stretch out the experience um, for the students that we're, we're engaging. If you'd like to support Big City Mountaineers with your own Summit for Someone climb, here are your options. As in the past, there are several trips that you can join, ranging in fundraising minimums from $1,000 up to $4,000. These mountains include the Presidential Traverse in New Hampshire, Long's Peak in Colorado, Mount Hood, Mount Whitney, Mount Shasta, the Grand Teton, Mount Baker, and Pico de Orizaba in Mexico. Big City Mountaineers just added Pico after a successful all-women's climb this past year. Congratulations, ladies. Next year's climb is women and men. In fact, Scott, who is on our trip, has already signed up for it. And speaking of Scott, I have to share a story of how he had a beyond successful fundraising campaign. Uh, Well, my fundraising kind of took off. I ended up raising a lot of money for leukemia just before this, $50,000, and, uh, and then so this one was just a breeze to raise 4000 That's right, $50,000, and then another $4,000 after that. Anyone who has done a fundraising project or something similar knows that that's pretty much impossible. So how did he do it? He hosted gun raffles on Facebook. It's just everybody's so generous and donates and tries to win my raffle prizes, and and it works out well because it's for a great cause. And these are, this was all grassroots, right? You said you started through Facebook? Yeah. And the word just spread? Yeah, so I started with probably 200 people in a Facebook group, private group. And then uh, right now it's up to about 2,000. Now, many people might be uncomfortable with guns. So I was trying to think of other themes for a raffle that would be similarly successful. Like what can we learn from gun raffles? that we can apply to other themes. One thing that guns have going for them is that they're less accessible good. They also have a very passionate fan base. So what do we have that is maybe less accessible and also has a very passionate fan base? Maybe another sin good, like beer, wine, liquor, or cigars. Maybe another specialty sporting good. Need to give this some more thought. If you have any ideas, uh, let us know. You can leave a comment on the bottom of the page. Beyond the products themselves, Scott had all the right ingredients to make the raffle engaging and exciting. Do people know what the prizes are? Yeah, they okay. know. Yep. I set them up ahead of time. And and then how did you announce the winners? Uh, live, Facebook, and uh, raffle wheel. and Sometimes I'd have like... Uh, three different things I'd give away, so I'd have three winners, and I'd call them right there now on the phone and tell them that they won. 
So it was always kind of nice to call them and get their reaction, you know. How much effort did it take? Oh, it was like a second job. <laughs> it was so much work. I didn't get my bathroom done, my wife's man. <laughs> no. I still haven't got it done. Beyond the mountains that I mentioned earlier, there are also a couple of other options for your summit for someone climb. Here's Brian Martin on their custom climb program. People just coming to us with any idea, any trip, any challenge based in the outdoors that they then turn into a fundraiser for BCM. You know, hey, it doesn't have to be the Grand Teton. It doesn't have to be Shasta. It can be that peak up your you know, up in your backyard. It could be, you know, that long trail that you've always been thinking about doing. Uh, it could be, you know, that section hike of a, you know, of the Appalachian Trail, um, you know, that, that trail race, that Spartan race, that Ragnar race, you know, whatever the challenge is, whatever inspires you to get out, make it even more special by turning it into a little bit of a fundraiser for big city mountaineers. There's also a new option that BCM launched just this year. It's called Corporate Challenges. You have a team uh, of individuals or an employee base that's looking to do something um, that kind of brings you all together and is also philanthropic for a really great cause like BCM. We would encourage you to um, give us a shout and uh, see what we can do on behalf of your organization, but that also then you know becomes an incredible uh, win for BCM too. They piloted the program with two trips this past summer, both with great success. We got five employees uh, from Thule and five employees from Polar Tech to uh, go and backpack the presidential traverse uh, in the White Mountains of New Hampshire over three days and two nights. And um, they're using it as an opportunity to kind of build uh, camaraderie and collegiality between the employees and amongst the employees and a little bit of a, uh, an exchange amongst employees in two different brands. And, uh, and then also um, had uh, the company Thermacell run a program this year where 10 of their employees uh, raised $1,000 each and then the company matched the fundraising of the 10 employees. So it ended up being a $20,000 fundraising effort for big city mountaineers. And then the 10 employees from Thermacell went and uh, climbed Mount Washington together. Your company doesn't have to be in the outdoor industry to participate in the corporate challenges option. We'll have the link to all of these on our website, mtnmeister.com, or go over to bigcitymountaineers.org. So what's it going to be for you? The warm weather is starting to disappear, but it's not too early to start thinking about a big project for next season. If you aren't the biggest fan of winter, like me, it also gives you something to look forward to over the next several months. As far as picking your project goes, the more painful it is, the more money you'll be able to fundraise. There's actually some research on this. It's called the martyrdom effect. People tend to donate more to a cause when the fundraising process involves pain. Don't worry, you can enjoy it too. That's all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did in reflecting on this trip. Thank you to Nicole, Chris, Adam, Ken, Neil, and Scott for being an amazing group to share it with. 
I'm also psyched to have a new set of friends all over the country. Thank you to Chris for carrying many extra pounds of camera gear and to Adam for his artistic eye. Thank you to Osprey Pax for their support of the climb and to the whole crew at Big City Mountaineers for their service to underserved youth. Till next time, I hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. I'm your host, Ben Shank. Thanks for listening to Mountain Meister.